Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn. And I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're kicking off our month of puddings and custards with a creamy, dreamy, and time-saving rice pudding you can make in your slow cooker. And in honor of the recent Oscars, we're also discussing our favorite foodie films. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, I feel a little bit daring picking puddings and custards for the month of March. Tell me. (laughs) I think that a lot of grownups find puddings and custards to be children's food. And I've even heard the phrase nursery puddings before. So what do you think about that? Do you think um, puddings and custards can be a good adult dessert? Or are we going to have some listeners who um, think that this month is meant for children? Well, first of all, maybe we should explain that, you know, in the past, we have tried to tie the show to a national kind of a month, like last month was National Pie Month, but we couldn't find anything specifically out there on the internet. So we decided, hey, we've been in business for like five months, we're going to go ahead and declare it Puddings and Custards Month. So. (laughs) That's right. Ladies have spoken, right? Yes, right. Our own designation. You know, to me, puddings and custards, and this is a fairly broad category that I think we are going to explore in a variety of ways. I think that their very nature, as perhaps a dish you ate in childhood, is what makes them really comforting to eat as adults. So it is a category of foods that, you know, we're doing everything from rice pudding today, we're doing a bread pudding, uh, we're doing a more traditional, um, you know, creme caramel type of desserts down the line, and and several others. So I think that puddings and custards in our in our umbrella really is encompassing a variety of of those kind of treats. And I I happen to love them and I hope we can bring some folks along who who may not be huge fans, but we can change their minds. So that's well, kind of where I'm coming from on that. Yeah, me too. I'm super excited about puddings and custards. I um, do definitely think of them as a comfort food. I think there's almost nothing better than a Sunday night pudding. It's just a lovely way to cap off the week. And um, I did notice when we posted this on our Facebook group that listener Dana jumped right in and said she loves a good egg custard. But then the reason I was asking this question is I immediately saw listener Amy, who is so great about um, following along with us, say, oops, um, my willpower will not be tested this month because she apparently is not into puddings and custards. So I'm really interested to see if we can turn her and any others out there around um, over to the idea that puddings and custards can really be an elegant and easy dessert. I also think it's a cultural thing. I think here in America, most of us equate pudding with jello. And <laughs> we are not going to be doing that. <laughs> no. And in fact, you know, this is another area where the if you've never had or made a homemade pudding, 
you're going to be blown away. I mean, it's nothing yes. like an instant pudding or even a cook and serve pudding. And so hopefully, you know, the recipes that we've chosen, which are a stovetop pudding, they're not hard, but they are so head and shoulders above. So if in yes. your mind you're thinking, oh, jello instant pudding, no, get that right out of your mind because we're taking this in a totally different direction. It's a whole new level in March. So get ready, people. <laughs> That's right. And, I, you know, I think, too, it's a nice segue from winter when you're still feeling chilly. And, you know, here in, in the Northwest, we've had kind of just bizarre end of winter weather and you're getting ready for spring. And I, I think these desserts make that leap really nicely, too. So I do, too. And I do too. speaking of that, Andrea, I have just returned from the islands, as you know. <laughs> oh, your tropical <laughs> vacation. Do tell. And this is actually very um, – very appropriate to our topic because one of the things that I ate a lot of in Hawaii was bread pudding. And I'm not culturally sophisticated enough to know if that is a traditional Hawaiian dessert. If, if we have Hawaiian listeners or folks who grew up or have spent a lot of time in Hawaii, I would love to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's a traditional Hawaiian thing or if I just was finding a lot of it. But <laughs> the first and eating a lot of it, the first bread pudding I had um, – was a breakfast, as you know, <laughs> even more reason to love it. And it was made with those soft King's Hawaiian rolls. Oh, yeah. You know, you can find them here. They're just super oh, squishy. Yeah. They're they're basically dessert just by themselves. And so it was a sweet. bread pudding made with that. They are sweet. Mm-hmm. And then they served it with a hot coconut syrup. So I had oh. that probably more times than I should have, considering I spent my day in my swimsuit um, for <laughs> breakfast. So <laughs> And then the other the other bread pudding I had was more of it wasn't quite as um and we'll talk about this in our bread pudding week too but you know there's kind of more of the custardy bread pudding and then there's more of the you can actually see the chunks of bread and it's it's a little firmer so That's what it was I'm that that variety right it was that variety but then it had a layer of a pineapple I almost want to call it like a marmalade it was really tangy oh. and then a layer of meringue and so those were oh. two things I had not had on a bread pudding before and I thought it was really great it also made it a little fancier I mean bread pudding kind of by its definition it's a it's a dessert for using up leftovers and it's you know it's a right. fairly um, homey kind of thing and so I thought this was a nice way to to dress it up a little bit um, but then the most unusual thing I ate in Hawaii this time was this pie. And I had posted a picture um, while it was still National Pie Month. Um, and it's called um, a coconut sweet potato um, halpia pie. And the halpia is the coconut um, layer on top. And, okay. and what that is is a very firm um, coconut – I mean, it reminded me of flummery almost if flummery had been oh, more okay. set up. So it's made with coconut milk and cornstarch. That's kind of it. So just a really basic, like a kind of a gelatin, I guess I would call it. Yeah. And then the middle layer was this beautiful, beautiful dark purple sweet potato that's grown in Hawaii. And it's actually called an Okanagan um, sweet potato. And that was imported by um, the Japanese immigrants and grows very well in Hawaii. So this then this lovely dark, dark layer of purple. And then it had a shortbread crust. And um, folks will remember from last episode, episode 16, that I like a good sweet crust. So um, this was really interesting and really beautiful. The sweet potato itself, you know, I'm used to a sweet potato pie that is more um, like, you know, it's like a soft kind of almost like a custardy center. And this was not. Yeah. 
that. Yeah, this was um, really firm, kind of flowery almost. So um, it was really cool to try and it was really beautiful. And I'm glad I got to celebrate National Pie Month in the 50th state. So some really good eating in the Aloha state. That picture you posted, was that the whole pie or was that a slice? Because it was a rectangle, which is another thing I'm not used to when I think of pie. How true. Yeah. No, that was just the piece I had purchased. We got a plate lunch, which is a thing we like to do in Hawaii. And the deli we bought our lunch from had a whole stack of these in their in their refrigerated section. And I thought, what is this? Oh, and okay. I had to try it. So it was a pre-portioned slice. But you're right. Okay. They must make it in a huge sheet pan um, okay. because it was definitely a rectangle. Yeah. Good, good eyes there. Thank you for doing that important research uh, yeah. on the islands for <laughs> anytime, us. Anytime Preheated wants to send me to the islands, I am up for the challenge. So We really appreciate it. Well, sure. a little bit closer to home here um, in Olympia, I am super excited because my favorite bakery in town has finally opened a retail storefront. So oh, that's left, great news. Yeah. Um, left Bank Pastry. When I first moved here, I would, you know, go to the grocery store or the coffee shop, and it didn't take me very long to realize I was eating some of the best croissants and quiches and quinamines that I had ever had in my life. And I started asking people, where is this from? Where is this from? And they were saying it comes from Left Bank. And so I would look up Left Bank and I couldn't find anything about them. They were kind of this mystery. And finally, about a year or two ago, our local newspaper posted an article about them. And the baker who started did study at Cordon Bleu in France. And then he built a commercial kitchen in his neighborhood, in his backyard of his house. And he started turning out these amazing amazing French pastries. And, um, you know, so I then sort of had developed this um, course, I would call it a pastry obstacle course throughout town where I knew, okay, if I get to this place by nine, they'll probably still have a croissant. If I hit this place by two, they'll probably still have one of the sable cookies, (laughs) you know. You're you're basically planning your day around, yeah, yeah. the availability of baked goods. Yeah, right. Makes sense. That's pretty much Mm -hmm, what I did. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. When when I decided to tackle uh, macaroons uh, back a couple of episodes ago, I, you know, went and found where he had several and tried his. And, of course, they were amazing. And I don't think I could ever get even close to what he does. But he opened a stand in the Olympia Farmer's Market on Saturdays a couple of months ago. So that was kind of their first foray into to um, retail. And then now he's opened an actual, you know, shop storefront. It doesn't have tables or chairs. So I feel like that's good. um, Because (laughs) otherwise, I think I would always pick it as my meeting place. Um, So it's just a little storefront, you walk in, you've got the glass cases, you buy your pastries, and then you leave. They opened on Monday. And so I did feel it important to stop in and and welcome them and congratulate them. And um, on that day, I tried the uh, macaroons and the queen I means I hope I'm pronouncing that right and um, oh what was called a Brittany shortbread which I think is um, a little less buttery than regular shortbread it, it had a different flavor to me it was almost more like a cookie than a shortbread okay okay and then um, yesterday I, I had made my my comment that I was gonna try and only stop there once a week but yesterday. <laughs> I uh, had to take oh. 
daughter to the doctor in the morning. And then as we were leaving, she said, oh, you know, I'm so hungry and we're going to school and, you know, I've missed morning snack and all that. So we popped into there and I got something I didn't even think I would like. I just thought I'm going to try something different. It was called a cinnamon croissant. And, you know, I'm not a cinnamon fan. And it, it kind of looked like, do you know what I mean when I say monkey bread? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that pull apart okay. bread. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like yep. that pu- it sort of looked like that, but it but it looked as if it had been baked in an individual muffin tin, but it sort of looked kind of more like a knot and it had some icing on it and some cinnamon on it. And um, it sounds it like fabulous. a really, well, it sounds like a really jacked up cinnamon roll. It basically right? was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like a cinnamon roll made with croissant dough. I mean, uh, yes. I, I, if, if anything can move you to the cinnamon fan side, I think this has done it. Yeah, that yeah, sounds amazing. I think that was it. So this is day three, and I haven't been yet, and they close in a couple of hours. So I think I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll record an ultra-long episode so you can't leave. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that's my my big excitement um, to have one of my favorite pastry shops have a retail location is a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. So that's the left bank in Olympia. If you are in the yes. area or make a special trip, sounds like worth making a special trip for. Oh, awesome. Definitely. Well, Andrea, we are going to talk about our first pudding and custard, and it is a rice pudding, one of I think both of our favorite um, types of, of custard dish. This recipe we've chosen is also a little intriguing um, for two reasons. The first is that it's made in your slow cooker. And for me, that's an appliance I use on an almost weekly, if not biweekly basis. It's um, really helpful to me on certain days when I know I'm just not going to have time up until dinner and I want to have something hot and um I've been noticing more and more dessert recipes in the slow cooker recently. I just ran across a recipe for a cheesecake in the slow cooker. And I think that people are really having fun experimenting with that appliance. Um, But this recipe is, is for rice pudding, and it's really straightforward. And the fun thing about this, and it's called Old Fashioned Rice Pudding, I found it on Pinterest, but it was clearly a photocopy from one of those fun community cookbooks. And we've talked um, a bit about you have a fun one from your mom in um, a Louisiana Historical Society. I have a great one from like a firefighters guild. And they are they can be really hilarious and also a really fun source of good recipes. So this old fashioned rice pudding recipe comes from three women Anne Bender of Fort Defiance, Virginia, Gladys M. High of Ufreda, Pennsylvania, and Mrs. Don Martins of Fairbanks, Iowa. Andrea, do you think these ladies all got together to create this recipe, or do you think it's possible they all turned in the same recipe and the editor put them together? (laughs) Well, so I had the same question because my first thought was, well, clearly Mrs. Don Martins is married, and um, this is an old old cookbook, so that's how she used to refer to herself. And then I thought, well, maybe Anne and Gladys are her daughters, but then Anne and Gladys have different last names. And so, you know, and I live fairly far apart here, too. Now, of course, they could all be buddies and and wanted to create a recipe together. Maybe they were high school friends or or something like that. But, yeah, I feel there's a story behind Anne Gladys and Mrs. Dawn, but I don't know what it is. And that's what I love about these community cookbooks is, you know, usually there is um, like a little story that goes along with the recipe. But in the absence of one, I, you know, mentally just made one up in my head. So... Mm -hmm. 
And a point that we don't know which community cookbook this has come from because this was just a really scratchy um, photocopy. So if anyone yes. out there, uh, A, number one, knows any of these women or <laughs> or what has this book, perhaps, I mean, we would love the, more of the story here. Um, but essentially, this rice pudding in your slow cooker, you're using a cooked rice. So I love a recipe that uses up leftover rice. Um, you could use, you know, if you had like a Chinese takeout, and I always have rice leftover from that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a great opportunity for using something like that up and, and just really, you probably, this is a pantry staple that you have, you know, your eggs, your sugar, your butter, um, some raisins, if you like it. One note I would make Andrea, and I say this as a big fan of nutmeg, this recipe calls for half to one teaspoon of nutmeg. And that seems pretty high to me. What do you, what do you think? What are you going to do there? Yeah, um, that is in my mind too much, even though I love nutmeg. But the reason I feel like it's too much, um, when winter rolls around, I'm the person anxiously watching the reader boards to find out when eggnog lattes are available. <laughs> and okay, right. part of the reason uh, part of the reason I love them so much is the nutmeg on top. And yeah. one time when I was at a coffee stand, I was dumping my nutmeg on top, and the barista said, "You know, whoa, whoa, you know, hold up on that." And I said. Oh no, I like nutmeg. And she goes, I know you like it, but you know, it's it can be a dangerous spice. Or she said something <laughs> along those lines. And back I away from the nutmeg, lady. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I just sort of brushed it off. I thought, oh, it must be expensive. And you know, they're trying to ratchet yeah. back my nutmeg consumption. <laughs> but the next time I was in my spice store, which we have a really cool little spice store in Olympia called Bucks. And I was speaking with Anne, the owner, and sure enough, nutmeg in high enough quantities can be toxic. And so I did look it up. Um, a couple of places said one to two teaspoons, which actually even, even then made me nervous about sharing this recipe. But the New York Times article that I found, which I take as a more authoritative source, said two tablespoons would be the toxic oh, all, dose. All right. Yeah. Well, we're far away from that. Yeah. Right. I don't think yeah. you are in any danger of toxicity. You just no. uh, it, I think it just would be much too strong. So um, I would probably I try the lower lower end of that range. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to try, you know, and when I look at my pumpkin pie recipes or my apple pie recipes, I notice they typically use anywhere between an eighth of a teaspoon to a quarter teaspoon nutmeg. So I think I'm going to try it in that range. And, you know, for all we know, um, Anne, Gladys, and Mrs. Dawn were like nutmeg farmers. And so they're just trying to really <laughs> – We can you know, come up with a, any story we want for these gals. So <laughs> that is a really, really good question because also that brings to mind when you said nutmeg farmers, I buy my nutmeg whole and then I grate it yeah. over a little rasper. Is that what you do or do you buy ground nutmeg? I have both and it depends. So something like this recipe where it's going to cook, I would use a, a ground. But mm-hmm. if I was going to finish the dish with it, I would use um, my fresh. Okay. All right. Because I think, isn't it true that a fresh spice you want to use a little less of because it's more potent or is it more? I can never remember how it goes. Like, would you still grate? If you're grating it, would you still grate half a teaspoon? Well, when I grate, I don't measure. I just go for the visual. So I don't I don't okay. know how much I would use. I know with things like, let's say, basil or oregano, you use less. So the dried form, you know, if you were using dried basil, you'd use a teaspoon, whereas with fresh basil, you could use, you know, a quarter cup or something like that. But I don't right, know. Right, because something about like the drying um, intensifies yes. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how that works, though. 
Um, yeah, well, however you're question. going to use it, I guess, um, you know, just just be cautious about that. And even if you really love nutmeg, as both um, Andrea and I do, a teaspoon still seems a little high to, to both of us. So yeah. we're going to we're going to walk that back a little bit. So and then please. Steph, yeah. Do you have mm-hmm. any recommendations for folks who may not have a slow cooker? I, I do. I don't think there's anything um, that the slow cooker is really doing for you here other than a, a, a long and slow heat. So, you know, you're not really cooking anything except that egg so much as you're just blending everything together. Your rice is already cooked. So, sure, uh-huh. I think if, if you don't have a slow cooker, just a stovetop, you're throwing everything together. You're just going to maybe, yeah. um, even in this recipe, uh, you stir after a few hours. So, um, yes. I don't think it's going to take you four to six hours on your stovetop, but I think that would um, be a fine substitute as long as you are around to be to be watching that, obviously. Right. I agree. Yeah, I think I would just make sure there's some stirrings taking place so it doesn't stick to the bottom of your pot. Um, hey, well, Andrea, are you a, war- a warm or a cold uh, rice pudding person? Oh, warm all the way. Okay. I mean, don't yep. even. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I, there's another option. Yeah, I like it cold too. I'll take it both. Yeah, and I think it's kind of different both ways because then it's more like a tapioca pudding, which I also really like, and you serve that one cold. Um, Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. some people serve that one cold. I I also like my tapioca more. I like it warm too. Yeah, I'll take I'll take it both both ways. Yes, I just um, some people feel really strongly one way or another. But I do. Apparently, I do. I apparently do. (laughs) You're very very adamant about the about the temperature of your rice pudding. So we're going to post that recipe. Uh, We'll post a link to that up on our website, which is preheatedpodcast.com. And we'll also throw it up on um, our Pinterest site. And um, we'll have it in the show notes. We hope that you will um, cook that along with us and hope that it starts off your March nice and easy with uh, some slow cooker, hands-off dessert time. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. In honor of the recent Oscars, we are going to bestow our own golden statues on some of our favorite movies featuring food. And listeners, you guys gave us such good input on your favorite food movies. I saw many of my favorites, um, Like Water for Chocolate, Chocolat, Babette's Feast, Julie and Julia, Waitress, Big Night, Euro Dreams of Sushi, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Chef. I could go on and on and on. Um, A couple that I hadn't seen yet um, I've put down on my list. So um, listener Christy recommended Burnt. Kate recommended Baghdad Cafe. Amy liked Stranger Than Fiction. And listener Craig recommended Goodfellas. But I got to be honest, I'm not going to watch the movie. Although I did watch the YouTube clip, and I agree. (laughs) It's an amazing food scene. <laughs> yeah, people came uh, out for this question. Wow, we got so much, so much conversation going. It was really fun to see people, you know, seconding or thirding what 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 someone had said or adding their own. And I'm like you, Andrea. There were some I I hadn't heard of or had had not watched myself. So now I have a great list of of movies to add to my to my must-watch list also. Yes. Well, the one that I didn't see in the list, I don't think it's in there at least, um, is one of my favorites and my daughter's favorites. It's called The 100-Foot Journey. 
And it stars Helen Mirren, and it is about an Indian couple that comes to France, or an Indian family, and sets up an Indian restaurant directly across the street from a, you know, famous Michelin star French restaurant. So you just couldn't have two different worlds colliding in a smaller space. And the acting is superb. The food is just amazing. I love Indian food. I love French food. So just seeing the contrast between those two. Um, is such a fun movie to watch. So I highly recommend that one. We did a double header one night and we watched Burnt First. And um, that is a movie that involves Bradley Cooper and a lot of really good food. So, uh, <laughs> well, let me, let me just say, at the end of that discussion, you just closed it down, <laughs> right? Uh, let me just say, there's just absolutely nothing wrong with any part of that movie. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was so cute that uh, listener Christy said that she and Jeremy cried when they watched it on a plane, and I can see why. I mean, it just it oh. has some very t- touching moments. The other thing that was fun about that, and I didn't know this when I picked it, and we did a double header. So we had some friends over. So first we ate dinner, and I do recommend you eat before you watch these movies because otherwise you will get so hungry watching this amazing yeah. food. You won't be able to finish your movie. So we ate our dinner first, and then we watched Burnt first, and it's all about Bradley Cooper's quest to get his third Michelin star. And so Mm. then we followed it up with 100-Foot Journey, which also is about trying to obtain the Michelin star. And I didn't know those two movies had that in common, so it was kind of fun to watch the contrast. Um, Burnt is rated R, 100-Foot Journey is PG, Disney, so quite a contrast there, but um, really both good movies and kind of fun to watch back-to-back and just sort of uh, immerse yourself in the food world if you like that kind of thing. Yeah. And is the um, the actor playing opposite Helen Mirren, is that Dev Patel? It's not, you know but his, it looks like it's him. It's not. I, oh, I looked well, up his okay. name, but I apologize. I can't. I can't remember it. I think it was something like Ami Rish. I, I'm not even going to try. But okay. yes, he, he is an amazing actor. And, um, you know, just as with Bradley Cooper, not difficult to watch him cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no problem there. Well, I wanted to talk about two that were mentioned that are actually Nora Ephron uh, penned movies. And one was When Harry Met Sally, of course, a Ugh. foodie movie for anyone who's very particular about ordering. Um, yes. And the other was Julie and Julia. And Nora Ephron wrote the screenplay for that. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to to read any of Nora Ephron's screenplays, I highly recommend it. There's an anthology out that includes the When Harry Met Sally screenplay. And I had read a few screenplays before, but I thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to translate to reading. And it was incredible. It was still hilarious and just a touching story. When Harry Met Sally is one of my probably top five movies, foodie or otherwise. And so I encourage you, if, if you um, want a quick read, it's it's fun to read also. Um, likewise with Julie and Julie, I mean, I, that was a memoir, that was a book. Um, but the, the movie portion of it, the Julia Child movie portion of it is based on a book uh, by Julia Child called uh, My Life in France. And I just finished reading oh. that a few weeks ago. And it is just the most uplifting, happy, just foodie, uh, lovely book you can imagine. Um, it's, oh, it's when I they were wait. living there in the 50s, right after World War II in France. And it's just 
eminently readable. It has so much great food and traveling. And um, I, I just really think that's a great memoir to pick up too. You'll you'll not be sorry about that. I think it's a couple years old now, but it was, she's been, she passed away. I don't think it's been 10 years, but it was right before she passed away that it was published. Okay. So okay. Um, oh, I'll definitely yeah. look for that. And I like the recommendation to try the screenplay. I've never read a screenplay. I've, I've never even considered it or thought about it. So I will definitely look into that. Yeah, I love that too. My, I think, favorite foodie movie is not technically a foodie movie, but it has the best eating scene as far as I'm concerned. And it's it's a wonderful life. Uh, there's the scene uh, where uh, George is having dinner with his father. It's fairly early on in the movie and they're getting ready to go to Harry's graduation party. And there's something about that dinner scene I just love. There's just the sound of them eating and they're having a cup of coffee with their dinner. And I love that scene. I love that movie, but that scene in particular, there's something about it. I just, it's very comforting to me. So that's kind of my quirky little choice. <laughs> well, and, and my favorite out of all of those we mentioned is Big Night and specifically the final scene of Big Night when they make the omelet, the perfect omelet, and there's zero dialogue. And it is and just... Yeah. Didn't someone on our Facebook say that they planned their wedding around that movie? Oh, you're right. I think that was listener Amanda. She yes. did. Yeah, she did a big night themed wedding. And I had asked her if she did the um, that trifle looking dish. What is it called? It starts with a T. It was like Tommaso or Tambale. I can't remember, but I oh, remember. I think it's a timbali. That's like the like timbali. vegetable and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. I mm -hmm. remember that in the movie. And I just remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, I have never even seen something like this. Can you imagine this being served? Um, but what a fun idea to plan a wedding around a movie theme, which th such great food tie-ins. I know, I know. Facebook fans, we really loved all of your feedback here. And I think lots of lots of great movies to settle in for the last part of winter when you want to be cozy and curl up on the couch maybe with your you know rice pudding that you're going to be having soon so <laughs> there you go Sunday warm night. rice pudding yeah Sunday night movie and your warm rice pudding you cannot go there you go I know it. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get back to the dishes. Join us next week as we continue our month of comfort with one of Stefan and my favorites that would also make a wonderful St. Patty's Day dessert, bread and butter pudding with Irish whiskey butter sauce. Whew. We'll also head back to the Gadget Garage and talk about not one, but two excellent appliances. Thanks to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our amazing theme music. You can find Anne-Marie at annemarierussell.com and download her music on Amazon and iTunes. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on our Facebook group, and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.